0: Hey, Good morning. We are glad you guys are here with us. All of you that came to see the kids. Well, here I am. I'm sorry. Um, the kids were great, weren't they? It's so much fun to see that. In, um You know, Catherine and her team in Treehouse, they do such a phenomenal job. Jared with the grade fives and sixes um, does a great job. And Brady with our high school kids does a fantastic job. So I just want to say that if you're watching online and you have kids, come join us, come in person, because that's the one thing, no matter what else you might get out of an online service, you don't get Catherine, Brady, and Jared at your house, at least as far as I know. They might hire themselves out on occasion, but as far as I know, they're not gonna show up at your house. So will you stand up with me as we uh, read from God's word in Luke 1? We're gonna look at verses 39 through 45 today. It says this, Now at this time, Mary sent out and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken to her. Father, we we come before you now and offer this time, Lord, we ask that you'd open our eyes and our hearts and our minds first and foremost to your presence, but also to your truth. And that we would hear what it is you would have us hear, so that your life may become greater in us, and we can take that out to the world. And we just ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, Catherine and um, Annie talked about our Christmas hampers, and, and so you guys probably know now that that hampers are going on. We have over 140 families that have signed up to receive a Christmas hamper that's filled with food and and all kinds of good good things uh, for the holiday season. We've got some amazing volunteers heading that up. It's kind of fun to see them come in during the week and see people coming in and giving us their information. I just want to tell you that that this week, if you want to serve, that's a great place to serve. You can serve as a family. You can serve as a life group, just a group of friends. It's a great place to get involved with with filling those hampers and delivering those hampers. And it's been a great experience for me to see that kind of behind the scenes as as that's unfolded. And I love the fact that Christmas hampers is part of our DNA at Temple. I love the fact that that we do this and we do it regularly and we do it without concern or regard for our own well-being, but we're trying to meet the needs in our community. But you know what? I also think about the people who have a need that just don't reach out. And I think about people that for whatever reason, you know, oftentimes it's shame or it's guilt or it's pride that we just don't ask for help when we need help sometimes. And in our culture, really, honestly, it's kind of scandalous to say I need help, isn't it? I mean, to stand up and go, I have a need and can somebody help me? We don't, we don't view that as a positive thing in our culture. We kind of view it as weakness to say I have a need. And the truth of it is that lie that it's weak to be in need has crept into the church. It shows up in our spiritual life. It shows up in a way that tells us in our spiritual life we're kind of on our own, right? I just have to figure it out. I need to project this image of having it all together and that, that I'm some kind of spiritual giant and I don't need anything. That All I really need to do is just accept Jesus and then just go figure all the rest of it out on my own. That's, that's the mentality that comes from the culture that's crept into the church. If you have doubts about faith, just ignore it. Eventually it'll go away. When you're confused or you have questions, don't speak out. Because then people are going to think that you're not spiritually mature. Can I just tell you that that mindset actually goes against Scripture and God's design for us? This mentality that you have to stand on your own, that you can never be in need spiritually, it goes exactly against what God designed us for. And here's what I want to do I want to help you see the exact opposite of that mentality from these verses today, by looking at the relationship of Mary and Elizabeth. Here's the scandal that I see in their relationship. And, and I, I, it's purely conjecture, I'm gonna tell you that up front. This is just my thought. I admit that I'm speculating here. But I think that Elizabeth was a spiritual mentor to Mary. I think that Mary was her willing apprentice. And now, here's why that matters to us at Temple. Because I want us to be a people, a church, that is willingly and open, openly engaging in mentor and apprentice relationships around our faith. And there's examples of that in this. And, and we need to have the type of mentality that says, I wanna be in a one-on-one discipleship relationship. I wanna be with others and have a relationship that's rooted in the Holy Spirit, that's held together by the love of Jesus, and that leads both of us to grow deeper in Christ. And so here's what I want to do this morning. The first thing I want to do is to to use this relationship of Mary and Elizabeth to help you see what a mentor and apprentice relationship actually looks like when it's in Christ. Then I want to help you figure out how to find both a mentor and an apprentice And then finally, I wanna address two scandalous lies about mentoring that that live in the church, not in the world. And so here's what we're gonna do. The first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Mary and Elizabeth to see what a mentor-apprentice relationship actually looks like. Now again, what I'm saying about Mary and Elizabeth in the context of mentor-apprentice relationships, this is my take and it's my speculation. But if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you to indulge me while I walk through this. And then you can decide for yourself if you agree with that or not. And, and know this, you don't have to agree with what I'm going to say about this relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, because number one, what I'm saying is not an essential to salvation issue. So this is space, this is the type of space that the Bible gives us to speculate and to think about. We don't speculate on issues that are essential to salvation. This is not an issue that's essential to salvation. The second reason you can agree with me is because all of you have the right to be wrong. So it's totally on you if you choose that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You're not wrong if you disagree with me, maybe. Um, And so here's the thing. As we start, I want to say that I see Elizabeth Not Mary, but Elizabeth as the mentor in this relationship. At least at this point in the Gospel of Luke. And so a mentor-apprentice relationship has three key things to it. One, it has the Holy Spirit as the bond of the relationship. Does, do, do any of you have friendships where you know the Holy Spirit is the bond in that friendship, in that relationship? And so that's the beginning of a mentor-apprentice relationship. The Holy Spirit is what draws us together, that brought us together and holds us together. So listen to this in verse 41. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you remember last week we were talking about Gabriel coming to to Mary and what's called the Annunciation and saying, hey, you're gonna have a child and that child's gonna be the Messiah. And so she goes to Elizabeth immediately after that. Right after Gabriel tells her this, she runs off to her relative Elizabeth. We don't know if Elizabeth was a cousin or an aunt or whatever. the, The Greek word there just means relative. It means a kinswoman. And in the first moments of them being together, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And I would say, based on what we just read, fills John also. The Holy Spirit is clearly at the center of the relationship between Mary uh, Mary and Elizabeth. And so here's what happens. In a mentor-apprentice relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the guide. He is the one at work and he's the catalyst for growth. So when we have these relationships that are bonded in the Holy Spirit, he's guiding us, he's leading us, he's doing the work, he's helping us grow. He's the connection that goes deeper than liking the same sports or the same movies or the same fashions or, or even the same stores or even the same church. Hear me on that. It's quite possible to have a mentor or an apprentice who's not part of the same church as you. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit works in a variety of places in our world. And and, and so that's important to remember that the person who might be my mentor or might be my apprentice may not necessarily be in this room. They might be in another room in another church right now today. So don't limit that, that idea of being able to find a mentor or apprentice just to this pool, just to this flock. And so here's the second thing. A spiritual mentor always sees the apprentice as God sees them not as the world sees them or even as they see themselves. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times in your life do you wish you had someone who saw you the way God sees you? And I'm not talking about in a moment. I'm talking about that's the baseline perspective. Somebody who looks at you and sees you as God sees you. In every moment, regardless of your failings or the stupid things we do or the craziness that happens around us, a mentor always sees an apprentice as God sees them. Because the mentor sees who the apprentice is becoming in Christ, not who they've been in the world. If you have not experienced that, let me tell you this, you need that. Because when someone sees us as who we're becoming in Christ, even when, especially when, we've given them no evidence to to recognize that, it's life-changing. Things come alive in you that you would have never imagined. So a mentor has a Christ vision of their apprentice. They don't have a world vision. They have a Christ vision of their apprentice. Listen to this in verse 42. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's a pretty close paraphrase to what Gabriel said to her last week, isn't it? Elizabeth is seeing Mary as who she's becoming, the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus. She already has that vision in front of her. That's critical for us if we're going to grow in our faith. To have somebody who can look at us and say, hey, I see you as who you're becoming in Christ. And then here's the third thing. A spiritual mentor speaks God's truth to the apprentice. What they speak into your life is the truth of God. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that there'd be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You see what Elizabeth's doing there? Elizabeth's taking Mary's heart and mind in this time of chaos. Unwed mother who's who's pregnant now, and she's got to walk through this alone in fear and anxiety, and she's turning Mary's mind back to the truth the reality of God. That's what a good mentor does. When we're in that place of confusion and we feel lost or isolated, a good mentor will take us and go, wait, let's look back at exactly what God has said and let's live there instead of living in all this chaos that's pulling you away. And so here's the three key elements of a mentor-apprentice relationship when it's in Christ. Number one, it's founded in the Holy Spirit. The bond that's between us is the Holy Spirit's bond, not our bond. Second thing is the mentor sees the apprentice as God sees them. And finally, the mentor speaks the truth of God to the apprentice. So here's my question for you. Who is your mentor and who is your apprentice? You don't have to answer that out loud. But think about that for a moment. If two names don't pop in your head when I ask that question, guess what? You've got work to do. We've all got work to do in this. And I know it's scandalous to admit that we need someone to walk with us, to guide us, and to remind us of God's Word when we have doubts, when we have uncertainty in our faith. And I know it's scandalous to walk up to somebody and say, hey, will you mentor me in my faith? Will you walk with me in my spiritual journey? And I know it's scandalous to go up to somebody and say, would you like me to walk with you in your spiritual life? I'd love to help you go deeper into Jesus. I'd love to help you find your place in the church. I'd love to help you explore explore the doubts of your faith. I know those things are scandalous. But you know what? The only thing that makes that scandalous is good old-fashioned sinful pride. That's the only reason it's scandalous to us. That's the only reason we feel those inner heebie-jeebies when we think about going up to somebody and saying, hey, would you be my mentor? A mentor-apprentice relationship requires humility on both parts, not just on one part, because here's why, a spiritual mentor has to realize that the Holy Spirit is the one leading them. It's not them they can't stand and go, look at this great work I'm doing. All they can say is, look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. And this is awesome because I'm sitting in the front row watching it on happen. I'm watching it unfold. And an apprentice has to admit that they don't have it all figured out. How many of us like to stand up and say that in front of people? You ever been in a spot where stuff was happening and you had to go, yeah, I don't even know. I have no clue what's going on. We don't like it. It doesn't feel good. An apprentice has to acknowledge that they need some help in their spiritual life, that they don't have all the answers. They have to look at somebody else and say, hey, I see spiritual fruit in your life that's not in my life. Can you help me get that? Can you walk with me so that my life produces fruit the way I see your life producing fruit? That's humility on both sides. That's humility of a mentor, that's humility of an apprentice. We all need both of these relationships in our lives if we're gonna grow. We're not gonna grow without these relationships in our life. Paul had Barnabas as a mentor. You can look at that relationship in Acts 11 and 13. And he had Timothy as an apprentice. And you can see that relationship in 1 Timothy 1 and 2 Timothy 1 and 1 Corinthians 4. And if that doesn't convince you that you need to find a mentor and an apprentice, if you can't look at it and go, well, this is what Paul did, so I think I'm gonna engage it, then let me tell you this. I'm gonna use the oldest pastor trick in the book to get you to do something, and here it is. You need to do it because that's what Jesus did. That's spiritual checkmate right there, guys. I just won. You have to do this. Jesus did this. Isn't that the point of our lives, that we want to live like Jesus so that we become the kind of people who do what Jesus did? Listen to this in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. And this is from the message paraphrase because I love the language in this. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. He sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. That is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It goes on for the next two chapters. Anything you want to know about Jesus, about the spiritual life, about how you're supposed to live is in there. Scholars say that this is the most important sermon ever preached, which means this one can only be second most. Why are you laughing? I'm teasing. But this is the most important sermon that's ever preached, was the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to what he did. He called to himself a group of people who had committed to to him as an apprentice. He's not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to spectators. He's not talking to the curious. He's not talking to fans. He's talking to people who have made a conscious decision to say, I will commit myself to you and I will be your apprentice. There's nobody who's just curious in this audience. These are people who said, this is what I want my life to be. And then Jesus goes on to tell them, this is what your life can be. Mentor, apprentice relationships are all throughout Scripture. The whole point of Proverbs 27:17, "As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another." At the core of that is the idea of a mentor and an apprentice. Listen to this in Hebrews 10. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Anytime you see the phrase one another in one of the epistles, think mentor, think apprentice. When Paul talks about this one anothering, he's talking about a mentor and an apprentice type type relationship. See, here's the deal. God designed our spiritual lives to be a three-way street. It's not a two-way street. It's a three-way street. Two people moving towards each other in God and finding that they are moving towards God and God is moving towards them as they move towards each other. That's how it's designed to be. That three-way street, this mentor-apprentice relationship culminates in oneness and unity in God and with each other. Could you imagine what the world would look like if the church had oneness and unity first with each other in God? Everything would be different. Everything would be different. As a matter of fact, ultimately, that's what heaven is. It's the place where we're unified in God. We are one in Christ with Him as the head. Why can't we have a little bit of that here? Why can't we bring some of that here? The first step to that is to engage with people in relationships that say we want to be one in Christ. And eventually, we're going to find that others want to be one in Christ. And then we become a body that has power and authority in the world to make it the kind of place where the lost are found, where the wounded are healed, and where Christ is exalted. That's what happens as we get into these mentor apprentice relationships. Here's the thing I don't think that's an optional idea. I think having a mentor and apprentice is actually part of the DNA of being a Christian. I think that's what we're designed for. I think that it's as much a part of the Christian DNA as hampers is part of Temple's DNA. It's just what we do, it's just who we are. Now, you have to make a choice a choice to first and foremost apprentice yourself to Jesus Himself, just as His followers in Matthew 5 did. He called those who were apprenticed to Him the committed you have to choose that. You have to choose to be fully committed to him. To say, I want you to apprentice me so that I can do what you did and live how you live. Then you have to find a mentor and an apprentice. We're going to talk about this more and more and more. We're going to press deeply into this and make it part of our DNA. Because as a church, it's what Jesus did and it's how we're actually designed to live our spiritual life. There are no lone ranger Christians. If you think you're in Christ and just dangling out there on your own and that's your comfort zone and that's where you want to be, well, you just know this, that when a sheep separates itself from the flock, it becomes bait for the lion. And the lion is the devil who's roaming around looking for who he's going to devour. If you're separated from the flock... You're just out there as bait for Satan to attack. He doesn't want to come in here. The power of Christ is in each one of us. Look around, all these people in one room. He's not coming in here, but if I choose to get in my car and live the rest of the week all on my own, he's probably gonna show up. If I don't have somebody that I can connect with who can strengthen me and remind me of God's truth, his attacks will come. And some of them are going to hit the mark. If this is all the relationship you have in Christ once a week on Sunday, we need to do something about that right now. You need to come here during the week and say, hey, I need this. And let us as a staff, as the people who are here for you all week, help you find that. Now there's one more thing I think we need to to look at and address. And so listen to this in Titus 2, verses 2 through 8. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith in love and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men. Now recognize that that what Paul just did here is said, hey, older women, you need to mentor younger women. And now he's going back to the older men he mentioned in the first part of this verse. Likewise, urge the young men. He's talking to the older men that he just mentioned, saying you've got to do with younger men what I just told these women to do with younger women. So likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, show yourself. And this refers both to the older women and the older men he's talking about. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Do you see what Paul's doing there? He's introducing the idea of being mentored by someone older than you in the church. And he's saying that when that happens and we live that out, Satan himself is put to shame. Think about that for a minute. Now this is scandalous also and here's why. Because here's what our culture does. Our culture has a tendency to look at people over a certain age, to look at older people and to discount them and dismiss them. To look at them and say, you don't really have much to offer anymore. Culture tells us you reach a certain age and you're kind of irrelevant. That you should just go retire and spend your time on the golf course or move to the beach or just sit around and complain. That's not how Paul sees it in his letter to Titus. He actually flips that script. And here's what he says Hey, you older folks in the faith, you are not done yet. These young people need you. That's a scandal in the world. The only place that isn't a scandal is in the church because the world looks at us and says, you've done your part, you've lived your life, there's no going back, you can't redeem it and you can't ruin it, so just go sit quietly in the corner because you've reached X age. And then he tells the young people, hey, you need examples, you need guidance. You need training, you need teaching. You go find these older folks. And you go to them and say, lift me up, build me up, invite me in to the faith that you've lived out for all these decades. That's scandalous too, isn't it? I mean, think about our world. We go to the young people for help. Go to my kids, I can't log into my iPad. Oh, okay, well here, give it to the seven-year-old, he'll get me in there. I can't get my Bluetooth to connect. Okay, well, let the 16-year-old drive the car. She'll get it hooked up for you. Can I just say to our seasoned saints in this room that you have work to do here? You don't get to just sit and go, I remember when. You have work to do here. Look around you. Look at all these young people in this room. Guess what? They need you. They need you to walk with them in the faith, to lift them up, to train them up. And not just in the the successes you have, but in your failures too. Wouldn't you rather someone younger than you not make the same mistakes you've made because they learned from you through openness and unity in a relationship? Where you can say, here's where I messed it all up. Don't take that path. Step this way, not that way. And you young people, look around. Look at some of these seasoned saints that are in here, don't dismiss them. Don't just say, well, they, they, they like the music to be different and they like it to be this way and they, it was this and they talk about the good old days and I'm not in the good old days. Don't just look at our, our seasoned saints in the room and just say, well, they have nothing to offer me because they're old and they're weird. And some of them are pretty weird. I give you that. <laughs> But here's the thing when you're in the presence of weirdness, it's entertaining. (laughs) So, if you young people will go find somebody older and say, Will you be my mentor in Christ? you get growth in a show. (laughs) You can't beat that. Look around this church. You seasoned saints, look around and find that young person who needs you to to form a bond with them that's rooted in the Holy Spirit, that sees them as as who they're becoming in Christ, that speaks God's truth to them. You younger folks, look around and find somebody in this room who you see spiritual fruit. They've been walking this walk for a long time and go to them and say, hey, I need to form a bond with you that's rooted in the Holy Spirit, I want you to see me as I'm becoming in Christ. Not as I see me, because all I see in the mirror every morning is all of my failings. I need you to see me as the person I'm becoming in Christ. And then I need you to speak God's truth into my life. Now there's one last scandal that we've got to look at around this whole idea of mentoring and apprenticing. Here's the scandal. A good mentor expects their apprentice, apprentice to learn what they know and do what they do. A good mentor looks at their apprentice and says, I want you to know what I know and I want you to do what I do. But a great mentor, a great mentor expects their apprentice to know more than they know and to do more than they do. Listen to Elizabeth in verse 43. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. I think Elizabeth is saying to Mary in this moment with joy and excitement, the day has finally arrived. You are greater than I. You have exceeded where I've gone and I'm joyful over it. That's exactly, exactly what Jesus expects from us as his apprentice. Listen to this in John fourteen twelve. When we apprentice ourselves to Jesus first and then another, this is what will happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. It's a good mentor, isn't it? You will do what I do. And greater works than these he will do. Jesus just became a great mentor. Now his expectation is that our works would exceed his works. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. When we apprentice ourselves to Jesus and we don't expect to do all he did and then some, because he's with the Father, which means he's always present with us, we have a distorted expectation. Jesus, as your mentor, expects you as his apprentice to do all he did and then some. He said it himself. And so here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you to do a little Christmas project. First, I want you to do this. I do this every year, and it's one of the best exercises I do every year. Find some time, sit down, and write a card, a note, a text, or a letter to the people who form your spiritual family tree. The people who have mentored you along the way, the people who introduced you to Christ, send them something that just says, thank you. You didn't have to tell me this truth. You didn't have to invest in my soul, and you did. And this is where I'm at now. Here's the fruit that your efforts are bringing forth. Just send them a note, send them a card, send them a text. And here's the other challenge I have for you before the new year begins. Find a mentor. Find an apprentice. There's many, many people around you right now who could fill that role for you. First and foremost, we apprentice ourselves to Jesus. And then we find those people who will speak life into us, who will let us speak life into them as we move towards Christ together and find that God is working in us and drawing us to Himself. So here's your challenge. Before the new year begins, number one, engage in a Holy Spirit-centered relationship with another person. Number two, find a mentor who sees you as who you are becoming in Christ, not as who you've been. Number three, find a mentor who will speak God's truth into your life. And finally, find an apprentice who wants these same things from you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you've designed us to be in community, to need each other, to be one with each other, and to find that in that oneness we are one with you. So God, I pray that we all walk away today with hearts committed to you, hearts committed to your son, desiring to be his apprentice first and foremost, but also, God, that we understand that by our design, you want us in relationship with someone who can lead us deeper into you, and you want us to be that person for someone else. Father, here's my desire, that there is no one at Temple Baptist Church that feels like they have to walk in their faith alone, that they have someone leading them, and they have someone to lead, knowing that they grow in both of those roles. And so God, press that deep into our hearts and our minds, As we finish out this year, help us start next year. Help us start this new coming year with someone who can be that mentor to us and lead us deeper to you that we can follow after as they follow after you and someone that we can lead deeper into you with openness, with transparency, with honesty, and with unity. And Father, we know this only happens by the bond of your spirit that holds us together. And so we ask that you would strengthen that in Christ's name, amen.